Let us pray to this awesome God. God, we thank you for truly you are incomparable. How great, Father God, is your name. How unsearchable are your ways. Your ways, Father God. Your ways are magnificent. And Father, we are here because of the way. We are here, Father God, because you allowed him to be wounded, to be bruised, to be crushed, in order that we could have life in you. You allowed your son, Father, to take the wrath that we deserved. And now we are able to sit here and worship you, to stand here and worship you uncondemned. Father, as we listen to your word, may we be reminded that we listen to words of grace, words of life, words of importance. Help them to shape our worldview. Help us to appropriately worship you by actively listening. Help me to preach to please you, to proclaim your word unashamedly, please be with us, our great God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We are continuing with our series today that is entitled uh, Reclaiming the Right Perspective in Marriage. Uh, we started the year off talking about being connected to the Lord, and this series is going to lead us and help us uh, to be connected with our families and connected in our families. Uh, we are going to go to Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to look at verses 15 through 33. That's what we're going to read. Our emphasis today will be on verses 22 through 24, reclaiming the right perspective of or in marriage, uh, part 2. If you can stand to for the reading of God's word. For part one, we laid the first foundation in marriage. And the first foundation, if we are going to have Christ-honoring, Christ-exalting, joy-possessing marriages, marriages that shock those who are not in Christ, marriages that help us to please Christ, the first thing we have to do, we talked about, is that we as individuals in a marriage, a husband and a wife, that we must understand and value our salvation. A lot of times when we look at our marriages and we look at the fruit of the marriage or the lack of fruit in the marriage, uh, we see the symptoms of the marriage. We see that we're angry with one another, frustrated, or on a seesaw or roller coaster. We want to treat the symptoms. Uh, we want to look at individual problems. But if we are going to have powerful marriages, it's going to start with us not starting with the problem but starting with our salvation, looking back at how God saved us and being at all at his grace, standing at all at his grace. And when we do that, we then, uh, our, our walk changes, and we see that we are now walking and held to a higher standard, the standard of Christ. So even when we are upset in a marriage and we are disappointed, we don't respond by cursing people out or 
by mistreating people or going tack for tack, but rather we know that we respond in a way that pleases and honors God. And as we do that, as we submit to the Father's will, as we are imitators of Christ, what literally happens is that the Holy Spirit begins to empower us in an incredible way. We then are filled with God's Holy Spirit. Uh, and incredible things start to happen. Uh, that was part one. Part two. Let us read. In fact, I'm going to just start at verse 21. And then we'll go down to uh, verse 33. And the word of God reads, Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives, submit, your, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. He gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot, or wrinkle, or any such thing, that she might be holy without blemish, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh." This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Uh, you may be seated. Today we're going to talk and tag this text, having the proper understanding uh, or the uh, understanding what submission is and isn't. We'll just do that. Understanding what submission is and isn't. Uh, growing up, my parents, like most parents, had a zero tolerance for profanity. Uh, but then there were words that weren't necessarily profane that my siblings and I could not say or call each other. Like the word stupid. And we couldn't tell each other to shut up. And when one of us would use the word stupid or say shut up to each other, uh, we would try to annoy the other person by saying ooh real loud. And we would run to our parents and say such and such said the S word for shock value. And my parents would normally look and say wait a minute, which S word? And we would say she or he told me to shut up. Well, there's a, a S word that seems to be profane when speaking about marriage. There is a S word that often calls and makes Christians cringe. There is a S word that calls some of us to hold our breath and made some of us declare over my dead body. And the S word is submission. Christians have a hard time with the term submission simply because we don't know what it is and what it is not. 
The term or word submission in the Greek, it means literally to retire, to yield, to withdraw. And it is from a, another Greek word, which was a common military word that meant to line up or to arrange. In a military sense, the word submission literally means to line yourself up under rank or order. So when we talk about Christian submission, we're talking about lining ourselves up under a God-ordained order. The Lord has mandated not just wives to submit, but the Lord mandates all Christians to submit. Look at your text. Often when we read Ephesians chapter 5, we focus on verses 22 through 24 and we say it's solely the wife's job to submit because the word is there. Uh, it's there in verse 22 it says submit. It's there in verse 24. Uh, it's there in, uh, twice. Uh, but, but what we don't see is that God is calling every single person uh, in this text to submit. For example, look at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, the word submission is not there, but the principle of submission is there. Look at it. He gave himself up for her. <laughs> is there any greater example of submission than for one to surrender their life for another person? It's quiet. I expected it to be. Amen. No. So the husband is to submit in a general sense. We even see, if we continue, verse chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Obedience. Obeying is submission. Children are called to submit. Verse 5, slaves obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. Huh, workers. <laughs> Employees are called to submit. So as we talk about submission or lining up under rank or order, we need to understand that submission is a Christian principle. Submission it's for all Christians. It's for the wife. It's for the husband. It's for the child. It's for the employee. It's for the Christian. Now, what is the motive for and of our submission? Look at verse 21. Why do we submit? What should motivate us to line up with Christ and submit? Verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Our motive in submitting, our motive in lining ourselves up, our motive in arranging ourselves is out of reverence for Christ. Out of reverence for Christ. Look at chapter 6, verse 6. Another part of our motive. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ. 
as servants of Christ. We submit because we revere, we respect Christ, and we also submit to one another because we are servants of Christ. Servants of Christ. Here, a lot of people say, I'm just a servant of Christ, but are we really? A servant of Christ is one who is willing to imitate Christ in his service and what he has done. In fact, Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 through 8, a very familiar passage. Paul says this, he says, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. Submission. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Having this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Submission. Jesus made himself nothing. Taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So as a Christian, we understand that we submit, we humbly lay aside our feelings of right. <laughs> we humbly lay aside our rights to serve one another. Why? Because Christ is who we follow. We are Christian. If we don't follow the example of Christ, we're just an an, an I-A-N. Take Christ out of Christian. That's what we are. So when we follow Christ, or when we say we're Christian, we're saying that we're following his example. And what was his example? His example was that he humbled himself, that he did not look to his own interest, that he did not see equality with God, the Father, as something to hang on to. Now, this is big. Because the reason why a lot of us have problems submitting, and we're not talking about marriage yet. We're talking about life. The reason why a lot of us have problems submitting is, number one, is because it's unnatural to us because it goes against human nature. It goes against our sinful nature, I should say. Number two is because we think that if we submit to someone, if we line up under someone, it is, us, it is because we're unequal to them. But that's not what submission is at all. The Bible teaches that Jesus is equal with God the Father, meaning that they share the exact same nature and essence. They are the same. They're both eternal. They're both all-powerful. They're both omnipotent, omniscient. They are the same. The, the fullness of the Godhead, Colossians 1 and 9, dwell in Jesus, 1 and 19. So Jesus did not come to earth because he was unequal to the Father. But rather he came to the earth submitting to the rank and the order that God the Father, him and the Holy Spirit agreed to in order to glorify themselves. In fact, Galatians chapter 3 verse 28, Paul says this. To let us know that we're not uh, unequal or 
uh, we're not submitting to one another out of inequality. He says, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you all are one in Christ Jesus. Meaning that God does not look at a man as, and say, oh, I'm going to bless him more because he's a man or a woman because I'm going to bless him. He's not looking at us as unequal in his eyes. He's saying you all are in Christ. You all are equally appreciated in Christ. In Christ. The final motive for submitting is found in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 6. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 6. It says, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. The final reason why we submit, uh, not do we submit only out of, uh, out of reverence of Christ and to, to imitate Christ, but we submit to please the Father. Jesus submitted and he came to earth, and we see this throughout the Gospel of John. He kept saying, my food is to do the work of the Father. It's to do the will of the Father. We submit to one another in order to carry out God the Father's will on earth. That's what we pray. Thy kingdom come. In order to pray thy kingdom come, we must beg, Lord, help me to conclude my kingdom goal. We are all to submit. Yet there uh, that in no way negates the fact that God has also de designed a tremendous authority submission principle to function in society and in family. We are all to submit, but that does not negate that God has set up a tremendous authority submission principle to function in society and in family. And this is what the principle is, is that God has set up a divine order and he causes us to obey the order that he has set up. And this starts off in society. The first way that we see this is in, in society. One thing that God has set up is God has set up government. He has set up government. Turn your Bibles really quickly to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. And we're going to look at verse 13. 1 Peter chapter 2. Verse 13. Now this is, can also be found in Romans chapter 13, verse 1 through 8. Uh, Colossians, what we read today, chapter 4 through chapter 5. God has called us to submit to forms of authority and a order. And this is what Peter says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor or as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So God, uh, Peter is writing here, that God commands us as Christians, to submit to the governing authority or the government, civil institution. And as we read the Bible, we see that he calls us to submit and respect the government and civil institutions whether or not we think the person in charge is respectable. 
Peter is writing to people who are being persecuted by the emperor. He's writing to Christians whose lives are literally on the line as a result of their government. And he's telling them to respect them and to obey them. God has called us to obey the people that he has set in authority because God ultimately is the one who raised them up. We say that God is sovereign, he's in control, he's in providence. God is sovereign. He is in control. Mubarak would not have been the dictator if God had not allowed him to rise through power. God could have given him a heart attack. Obama would not have been the president if God did not providentially allow and ordain for him to be there. And throughout the Bible, we see even sometimes God allowing and ordaining, telling Israel, I'm going to allow this ruler to rule over you in order to teach you a lesson. I'm going to allow this ruler to rule over you in order that you can suffer. See, the problem is, as Christians, we don't think that we have to suffer. And we think that God doesn't want us to suffer. But what's interesting is, is that suffering and suffering, that's where growth happens. When you look at the book of Acts and you see the church growing and you see revival happening, it is under persecution. It is under horrible leadership. See, within the Christian faith there is, and now because of Western society, there's just such a lack of respect for authority. God doesn't necessarily call us. It's hard to respect someone in a sense uh, that, that has no type of morality, okay? But even in that, we respect their position. We respect their office. So in government, we respect their office. Even if you look at First Peter, you'll see that he says that this is the will of God, that by doing this, you shall put to silence the ignorance of foolish people, meaning that by you being silent, you shall see the work of God work on behalf of you. Work on behalf of you. One of my favorite passages that's just hilarious um, is in the book of Acts, and I'm going to turn there on the fly and hope that I can find it real quick for you. But in the book of Acts, we see that Paul, in fact, I'll, I'll just talk about it. Paul is before the high priest. And he's before a high priest. And I'll just read this to you in verse uh, 23, uh, chapter 23 of Acts, really quickly. He says, uh, verse 1 says, and this is Paul. He's been arrested for preaching the gospel. And he says these words, Luke says these words. And looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law? And yet contrary to the law, you order me to be struck. Those who stood by said, would you revile God's high priest? So Paul is talking trash to a man. And he didn't realize that he was the high priest of that area. So he just called him a whitewashed tool, called him a fool. And look how Paul responds when he finds out he's a high priest. And Paul said, oops, I did not know, brothers, that he was a high priest. <laughs> For it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Paul had a respect for authority. Now we see that he did not think that this person was a qualified leader, but he respected the position. 
And this is not just in government. God has set this up in our place of employment. If you're still in 1 Peter, look at verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Huh. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God who endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. And then what does Peter do? Peter shares the gospel. He reminds us this. He says, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in him. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continue entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live in righteousness. By his wounds, you have been filled. Uh, you have been healed. Filled. <laughs> For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Listen, listen. There is a misnomer. That if someone is mistreating you, you have the right to mistreat them back. You have the right to give them the cold shoulder. You have the right to not obey them. You have the right to get even. And this is what I'm saying. That is unchristian. That's unchristian. Now, we can justify it all we want, but God has put people in places, and we are to respect their position. And respect them. Because in doing so, we are not just saying we're Christians. We are being Christians. We are literally being the gospel to those people. The reason why Christianity spread so rapidly after the first century was because the rulers of that day were shocked and confused at the amount of resistance and love and respect that they had. Now, we do not obey a ruler if they are telling us to do something that goes against the word of God. That's where it ends. All right? Throughout the uh, epistles, we see Paul constantly saying, we do not seek to please man but God. We see this in Daniel with the three Hebrew boys. If they tell us to worship a false idol or go and kill somebody for them, that's where we stop. But we obey them and we do our job, not as unto them, but as unto the Lord. And when we do, God does marvelous things, magnificent things. If you want deliverance, if you want a promotion, now we don't do it to get deliverance or to get a promotion, but to be faithful. But I guarantee you it's shown over and over in the Bible. Promotion comes through submission, respect, and obedience. And then not only do we see this in the government, not only do we see this in the place of employment, but we also see this principle in the church. In the church. Hebrews chapter 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give account. And that's a motive right there. We obey people in leadership, and we can leave it to God to discipline them because we know that ultimately they are held accountable to God. He says, let them do this with joy, and not with groaning, for that will be of no advantage to you. When we, uh, in the church, in the ecclesia, the called out ones, when we come together corporately and when we worship in this institution that God has put together, and when we disobey and, and, and seek to defy and groan and uh, uh, leadership, uh, God says that's unprofitable. 
That's unprofitable. And that's at every level. That's at a macro level, of course, in government. But then when we get to Ephesians chapter 5, we also need to see that this principle is put in place in the family. The reason why so many marriages are breaking, the reason why so many people are unfulfilled in marriage, the reason why there's no joy and people are looking like, is there even a point in marriage? Is there even hope in marriage? The reason why people think that there's three rings in marriage, the engagement ring, the marriage ring, and suffering <laughs> is because we have not learned as Christians first to submit to the order that God has placed, not out of inequality, but out of his will in order that there will be order in society and peace. So, as we talk about Verses 22, or as we talk about this passage, uh, we want to know that there's an order in the family. And the order in the family that God has set in place is clearly uh, laid out in Scripture. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 5, we hear these words, but I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. So when we get to this passage in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 22, we know that this is not the only place that it is, but Paul says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. So in the family, there's a divine order. And the husband is not put first as the head, okay, because he is superior to the wife in intellect, because he's making more money than the wife. He doesn't get to be the head because he has more degrees, or because he's stronger in strength. He is the head because God has ordained it to be so. When we go back to Ephesians chapter, I'm sorry, Genesis uh, chapter 2, when we see that God is establishing this, this hierarchy, so to speak, or this order in the family, we see that God creates Adam. And then God calls Eve to be his helper. Okay? God put that order in place. Now, what does that mean and what does that not mean? Because that's the issue. That's what you're really waiting on me to get to. <laughs> really waiting on me to break down what, what headship looks like and what submission looks like. Well, what that does not mean, that does not mean that the husband is the dictator. Husbands are not dictators. Uh, the Bible has not called a husband to, to rule his house with an iron fist. Uh, your wife is not your doormat, and nor is she your rug. All right? That's not what that means. As we listen humbly, that's not what that means. Uh, some people think that that's what, what being a man is. Being a man is not, not treating a woman as a slave. It's not treating a woman as a slave. And I think that's why there's such a big drawback when we talk about submission. It's because women, when they hear that word, they hear slave. They hear rug. They hear so many other things. Amen. You can fill in the blank. <laughs> but look at verse 29. God calls a husband to nourish and to cherish his wife. Right? Um, when we look at this in context and a husband understands that a wife submits to him, 
uh, and what that relationship looks like. It, uh, a wife is su- supposed to be submitting uh, to a husband regardless whether or not he loves or cherishes her because her, uh, she's submitting to him as unto the Lord. But, but, but a husband is to nourish and to cherish his wife. It's to value his wife above all. 1 Peter chapter 3 and 7 says, Live with your, with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. So you can't treat her like a doormat, because she is an heir of grace. She is a child of God. You know, when I started dating my wife, uh, I was a little nervous about re- meeting her father. And the reason I was nervous is because her father has five girls. And I know if I had five girls, when I met somebody, I, I would have an attitude. Whether he wanted to date my daughter or not, just standing next to my daughter. And, uh, you know, I wanted to make sure I, I treated her right as, as well as I could in front of him. Of course, when he wasn't around too, but definitely in front of him. Because, you know, I, I wanted everything to be cool. And, and then I saw the size of his hand. I said, one of his hands is like two of mine. So... How much more should we brothers cherish, nourish, and treat our wives when we know that God is their father? I love when I see police cars and they have a statement that says to protect and serve on. I just love it. I've always loved that. What a great definition. What a great mission statement to protect and serve. And when I see that, I think about husbands. And how God has called us to protect and serve our wives. A husband is not a dictator. Submitting does not mean that we submit as we do to a dictator, wives. A husband is also not a father. Submitting to a husband does not mean that you allow the husband to discipline you. Or men that you can discipline your wives. A man that lays his hand on a, on a woman is a coward. And a woman who lays her hand on her husband is senseless. Can't believe you hit me. So submission does not mean that he's our father, that he's walking around and just bossing us around. A wrong picture. It also does not mean that the husband... Is not uh, is the exclusive decision maker. You know, we sometimes we hear the word submit. It just means that he gets to make all the decisions, and that's not what it looks like at, at all. When we look at Proverbs chapter thirty one, that that woman was alive. She was vibrant. She was moving. She was doing things. She was helping our her husband, and a wise husband will listen to his wife. So it doesn't mean that he's the only one making decisions. But what it does mean is that at the end of the day. He's going to have the final decision to make for the family because God has called him to do that as the head of the house. And God is going to hold him responsible for that decision. We come together and we make decisions. My job is to listen to my wife, to pray about what she says, to dialogue with her. She listens to me. We pray about it. I pray about it. If I know that the Lord is not really speaking to me, but I'm just convinced that he's really spoken to her. Then I'm going to go with that way if the Lord gives me peace about it. 
But if we're at a standstill and we just don't know, it's my responsibility as the man to not be passive, to be active, to make that decision and to go with it. And as a woman, it's, it's the wife's job to submit to that decision. Now, the next question, uh, uh, and God has given us each expertise. So uh, the wife's expertise may be finances. Well, in that area, the husband submitting to one another should submit to his wife if, she, if she's a better, better with money. Ultimately, he needs to see the plan that's in place and approve it. But if she's better with money, husband, you have to know this is her area. Wives, same thing. So, in essence, what is submission? We just learned about what is not. Martha Peace has an excellent book that I uh, would tell every wife, every woman who, who desires every, to be married, and even those who don't, who are giving counsel to married women to read. It's called The Excellent Wife. And, and uh, here's kind of her definition of submission. Wife, uh, submission is a wife placing herself under the authority of her husband's leadership, working along with him to support, encourage, and complete him. Submission is a wife placing herself under the authority of her husband's leadership, working along with him to support, encourage, and complete him. God made the wife. He made you and he gave you a husband in order that you would be his helper, his helpmeet. And he gave you to him because he knew that he needed help. Looked at Adam and said, this boy is confused, this boy is messed up, he's lonely, I'm going to make Eve. Eve came alongside Adam to help fulfill the purpose of God. Now, turn to Genesis chapter 3 really quickly. Genesis chapter 3. And this is why submission is hard. And this is why even as I said that definition, some person's heart went to the feminist movement. Why he got, why I got support and courage? Why I got to be his helper? Why he can't help me? <laughs> All right. Now, as we look at the man's role next week, we'll see that it, it works both ways, but we'll see that, that specifically, that's why a, a wife is given to a husband as a, as a helper. And this is why it's difficult for us to do that, for women to do that. Look at verse 15. This is the curse. This is after Adam and Eve fell. This is after they sinned. God is giving judgment to them and telling them kind of what, what to look forward to and how things are going to be. Verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. That's talking to the serpent. Verse 16, to the woman. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. Now, is it painful women to bear a child? All right. I'm setting you up. Amen. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over. You see that? Your desire shall be for. That word for in the Hebrew is also translated against. Part of the curse is not just pain in childbearing. Part of the curse are sinful nature and that in which a woman has to fight is to submit to the rulership of her husband. 
and as a result of the fall and our sinfulness, men, part of our struggle is not to rule over them in a harsh or unloving way. Her desire shall be for her husband, for against her husband, to, to be the head, to make the decisions. Listen, we often think and hear this word submission and we think, or women think, as I've read and, and talked to some, that, that, that it's, it's bondage, but it's, it's actually liberty. It's actually freedom. It is. It's freedom because it's ordained by God. And whatever is ordained by God is good. Every perfect and good gift comes from above. Our culture have made uh, uh, order look bad. Our culture wants to strip order from the world. Strip order and say, let's all be even. There's no leader. Let's come to a round table and no one makes a decision. And the truth is, is that never works. Never works. Anytime we obey God, we are set free. There's a woman by the name of Bunny Wilson, who I was just made aware of her ministry, awesome ministry, been, been studying it. She specifically has a book that's called Liberated by Submission. I encourage every wife, if you can, to, to purchase that book, Liberated by Submission. She goes through submission, tells her testimony about how her and her husband, two Christians, uh, were just constantly fighting and butting heads. And uh, she was very strong-willed. The house was kind of in chaos. The kids were even tempted to talk back to one another. And she started studying about what submission was and about her role as a wife. And the book is just liberating to see how much freedom she has and how her marriage completely changed and how her daughters now have such a respect for authority and such a, a respect for marriage and how their marriage completely changed. So the question I want to ask really quickly before we conclude is this, is, is are you working alongside your husband or do, your, do you find yourself walking in front of him or behind him? God has called the wife to be a helpmeet, to walk alongside him and to assist him, to encourage him, to support him. Are you walking in front of him telling him to come on? Are you walking behind him saying I'm not coming? Or are you walking alongside him? Matthew Henry once said this, the, the wife, the woman, was not taken from the head of man that she can rule over him. But neither was she taken from the feet of a man that he could trample over her. But she was taken from the rib of man that they may walk together, that he may cherish her and bring her comfort. When we see what the biblical union and the biblical family looks like, we work together and we work alongside each other. The problem in a, a lot of Christian marriages and a lot of marriages in general is, is that submission has, has gotten a bad rap because we haven't taken the time to study God's word. So I want to give you three things really quickly that will help you submit to submit wives to your husband. And three things that will help you to even submit to a husband that isn't leading in the way that the Bible calls him to lead. The first is this. This radically changed your marriage. No matter what your husband 
is doing or is not doing. Radically change your marriage. Number one, learn to communicate in a wise and kind way. Learn to communicate in a wise and kind way. Men have been created a certain way. Women have been created a certain way. And one of the things that God has given men is a desire to be respected. A desire to be respected. Look at Ephesians real quick. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 33. It says, However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. When the Bible talks about a man relating to a wife, it is always telling the husband to love his wife. Specifically, the word that is used there is agape, unconditional, unfailing love. When the Bible talks about a wife communicating with her husband, it tells her to respect her husband. Only once does it say love, and that's in Titus chapter 2. And then it says, older women teach the younger women how to love her husband. And that's not agape, that's the word phileo, which means a friendship type of love. Teach them how to be friends with their husband. Okay, men have been created as to be leaders of their home and to be respected. And we're going to talk about this a little later in the series. When you disrespect your husband by not trusting his leadership and undermining his leadership, and trying to say things that will go against his manhood, he is going to respond in a negative way. Either one, violently, which is not excusable under any circumstances. Either two, by completely shutting down. And for some of us, the reason why our husbands don't respond to us, you say, I tell them the same thing, and I nag, I tell them over and over, is because... He feels disrespected. See, when the Bible talks about a wife communicating with her husband in Proverbs 31, this is to what it says about the excellent wife. It says, she opens her mouth with wisdom and teaching of kindness is on her mouth. When she talks to her husband, when she talks to her children, she used wisdom. She used kindness. So pray to God for wisdom on how to talk to your husband. Amen. Amen. The proverb says, right? <laughs> the proverb says, better a man be on a rooftop than in a house with an angry woman. Better a man go to the rooftop than to dwell in a house with an angry woman. And some of, but now listen to this. Most of us can't go on rooftops. Listen to this. So where do we go? We go on a couch and we click on a game and we turn it up and we beg you not to bother us. Why? Because we can't go on a rooftop. <laughs> and some of us go fishing for days <laughs> and work on the car. Learn to communicate in a kind and wise way. If your husband does not respond to that, then, then you do something else. And this is the second thing. You pray. You pray. 
If your husband doesn't respond to a request or to something after you go to him kindly and wisely, go in prayer. Prayer works. Listen, Proverbs 21 and 1 says, The king's heart is a stream of water, and in the hand of the Lord, he turns it wherever he will. The proverb says that the king's heart, the most mighty man at heart in the world or in that area, is in God's hand. And like the streams of water, God turns his heart to do whatever he wants. Your heart is not your own. My heart is not my own. God is in control of everything, including our hearts. The best thing you can do for your husband is to pray for him, not nag him, not talk about him on the phone, pretending that you know that he's not li- that he's listening, acting like you don't know. Uh-huh, girl, everything's still the same over here. He ain't about nothing. <laughs> Disrespectful. Aretha Franklin came out with a song, R-E-S-P-E-C-T. And that was a song that came out during the feminist movement. And it sounds good. Women want to be respected too. Right? You love somebody by respecting them ultimately. But men, specifically, we're not going to be encouraged to do by you, by you constantly hugging us and necessarily telling us you love us as much as, it's a generalization, as much as you telling us and showing us that you respect us. And for your information, FYI, that song was not written by a woman. It was written by a man to his wife. And he sung it and came out with it, but it did poorly. Because women didn't want to hear about how a man want to respect. God can do more with his heart than yours. And finally, let your conduct be pure. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3 again. Looking at verse 1. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word. So this is a husband that's not obeying the word, who is not loving the Lord, who is not being obedient. He says, they may be one without a word by your conduct. Look at the influence that the Lord has given you women. They will be won by your conduct. Now, what is your conduct? Is your conduct giving them a cold shoulder? Is your conduct making sure that you go to sleep before he gets into bed? Is your conduct... All right, let me go. Look at verse number two. When they see your respectful and pure conduct... When they see your respectful and pure conduct. He says, let them be won over without a word when they see you respecting them. And treating them with with purity. Verse 4. But let not your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Which in God's sight is very precious. Then she go, he goes on, for this is how the holy women who, helped, who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. It's in the Bible. I didn't say it. Amen. 
God says, the way you win his heart, the way you get his attention, it's not by disrespecting him. It's not by nagging him to death. It's not by reminding him of everything it's not, but it's the opposite. It's by you respecting him. It's by you encouraging him. It's by you saying, yeah, there's a long list of things he's not doing, but, man, there's two things he does great. He knows he can barbecue, and he can take out that trash better than anybody I know. And I'm going to encourage him to death when he's on that grill. I'm going to look for the things that he does well, and I'm going to be his number one fan. I'm going to support him. I'm going to build him up. I'm going to pray for those areas that he's weak in. And we're going to make it. Verse 22, Ephesians, wives, submit to your own husbands. Really quickly, to your own husbands. Don't show no other man more respect or more love than your husband. Verse 24, it says, be clothed. So also, wives should submit in everything to their own husbands. Submission is in every part of the home, every area, not just the areas you want. And why? Why? Verse 22, verse 23, verse 24, verse 25. Later on, three verses. Because marriage is a picture. It's a symbol. When God created man and woman and, and, and allowed them to come together, he had a typology in mind, a picture of Christ and the church. Your marriage is to be a picture to the world of Christ and the church. Wives, you are to show the world that this is how the church respects Christ. This is how the church follows Christ. And we follow Christ to and in some hard places and to some hard things. But why do we do it? We do it because Christ has shown us how much he loves us. And he showed us that when he allowed himself to be stuffed in humanity, to come through the womb of a virgin, to live a sinless life, to die a death he did not deserve for the glory of his Father. Keep that picture in mind when you don't feel like submitting, that what you're doing is for the glory of the Lord, for the sake of your family, and with the hopes to draw someone to know the Lord. Let us pray. Father, we just thank you for this time together. And Father, we thank you for your word, which teaches us and guides us and leads us to truth. And I pray, Father God, that you would help all of us as Christians to submit. Help us not to grumble, to complain, to gossip, to try to tear down authority that you have called, but rather help us to submit, to love, to obey, to be hard workers in order that we can win that authority figure to you. Help the wives, Lord, to submit and to see that their role is a beautiful role. It's a liberating role. It's a role that will help their families when they submit to have peace, to have purpose, to stay together.
And even as we await, Father God, the challenge to the men, I pray that you will begin to minister to our hearts. To continue to remind us that our job is a great job. Our responsibility is a great responsibility. It's to lead. It's to follow your voice. It's to be a man worth following. We thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. This time, the doors of the church are open. If you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ...